The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Game day, Tommy. It is game day. We've got a Thursday night game tonight, Washington and New York in Landover at FedEx Field. Uh, Ten years from now, seven years from now, where will a Thursday night game be played if it's a home game? Right next door (laughs) at FedEx Field. You're convinced of that. In In the parking lot. Look, I don't know if I'm absolutely right, but uh, that's the path of least resistance. That's where Jack Kent Cook wound up, and he was certainly uh, uh, had more to offer people than than Dan Snyder did in terms of a new stadium. So, yeah, I think it's going to wind up next door. And as frustrating as it is, uh, you know, uh, in Philly that's what happened, and with the Giants that's what happened. Yeah, those are also not stadiums that are uh, so difficult to get to. I mean, Philly's pretty easy to get in and out of, and so is, so are the Meadowlands. Very easy. And the Meadowlands is too. And um, and the bottom line is, in Jersey, there's no place for a downtown stadium in Manhattan, a football stadium. So that's right. why those stadiums have always been in those locations. You know, I would think, and this is just a guess – I would think that Jason Wright would have a better chance at sitting down and at least being somebody that Muriel Bowser would look at in her group and would say, well, well at least this guy's not an asshole. And Well, I, the problem's not Muriel Bowser. I, I mean, she, she was on board with this. The problem is the city council. Okay, well, I'm saying the and city council, who, too. Who a couple years ago lost you know, Washington lost their, their biggest champion for the stadium in Jack Evans. So I'm not sure the makeup of the current council, uh, which was really basically split right down the middle before, would, would be in Washington's favor this time. Yeah, I get that. I get that. I think this time, though, don't you think that the city will have the most leverage it's ever had in a negotiation with Washington? I mean, they're not going to have to pay for anything, are they? If he gets any assistance from any jurisdiction, it'll be for the roads and and other stuff. Right. Um, Snyder's going to have to pay for the stadium. I think you're going to be right on this. I think in 2028, we're going to be opening up a brand-new stadium in Landover off of exit, you know, 16, which is the the one uh, exit that takes you right to FedEx Field, or from 17A or 17B. I've got that right, correct? The Landover exits, I think so. Um, off yeah, the, and, and who knows? By by, the, by then, there could be a metro stop out there. Yeah, yeah. You never know. What do you think the crowd's going to be tonight? By the well, way, uh, everybody that I've talked to in the know says the paid was 52, but it was closer to 40 to 45 on Sunday. But an enthusiastic... I said 45. You said 45. Uh, yes. But I, I talked to somebody that confirmed that. So you, but, but an enthusiastic 
45 on Sunday. What do you think it's going to be tonight? A Thursday night game, the traffic, it's a Jewish holiday, it's Yom Kippur. What do you think it's going to be tonight? I think it'll be an enthusiastic Giants crowd. Uh, I think it's going to be less than what they had on Sunday. Um, I think it'll still be enthusiastic, hopefully. <laughs> We're talking about enthusiasm. Um, and uh, But I don't think that they'll end up drawing the crowd they, they drew on Sunday, on a beautiful Sunday afternoon for a 1 o'clock kick. That's my guess. I, I saw them promoting $30 tickets, um, and I don't know what they are on StubHub. I'm assuming you can get them for hardly anything. I'm going to look it up right now and see what they have. Uh, StubHub, Redskins, Giants, looking at StubHub tonight. Um, yeah, they've got... I just think there'll, there'll be a lot of Giants fans there. I mean, the Giants, while they stunk, it's too early in the season for Giants fans to not make the trip. StubHub showing the lowest cost of a ticket is $63. And the team is selling them. That. The team, I think, has is, is, is got tickets for 30 bucks. Okay. Uh, you know what? I'll say they get at least what they got on Sunday and that it's very enthusiastic. Um, we are going but, uh, to... How many, how many Giants fans? Um, a lot, but I think the Thursday night part of it and the Jewish holiday part of it, I think, will be impactful. You may be right. Yeah. Uh, so that that would be my guess on the crowd tonight. Um, these Thursday night games t- have typically produced lower scoring games. Last, I looked it up last year, nine unders, uh, six overs in the game, if you're curious. Um, I'm sorry, back uh, two years ago when there were fans, um, they tend to be uh, poorly played, s- sloppy games. Coaches and players hate them. Uh, we'll give you our keys. I'll go through Washington beats the Giants if – We've got predictions on the game, uh, and uh, we will both weigh in on what we think Taylor Heineke will do tonight. We're going to start, before we get to that, though, with a story that John Kime put out this morning, um, very early this morning, and I talked about it at the very end of the radio show. If you missed the radio show this morning, download the Odyssey app. You can listen to my interview with uh, Ron Rivera. Rivera, by the way, told me that um, he – it's it's the, it's now probably six times that he has said my biggest concern about my team is its maturity, and he blamed last week's loss and the team's maturity, and he said they're you know essentially implying that they're just not being disciplined enough uh, within the scheme. You know what's become very clear about Ron Rivera's coaching and Scott Turner's coaching and, and Jack Del Rio. They have a scheme, and they don't want you to deviate from it. There's a lot of Marty in what they're doing defensively. Like, this is the way we want you to do it. This is the technique we want you to use. This is your responsibility, and if you deviate, it affects everything else that we are trying to do with this particular call. Now, I don't know who's deviating the most, who's freelancing the most maybe, um, but uh, a couple of uh, a couple of more games with bad defensive performances with him talking about maturity, I think we're going to be able to identify the player or two that they're most frustrated with. Um, but anyway, uh, listen to the Rivera interview. Uh, he he's pr- he's pretty good. He also, you know, he 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 loves himself some Kyle Allen. Tommy, I'm telling you, these guys love Kyle Allen. I know he does. And I I just think that. It's not going to take a whole hell of a lot for Taylor Heineke to lose this opportunity with Kyle Allen now being totally healthy and ready to go. Because you know what Kyle Allen does? Kyle Allen is mature with respect to playing uh, the way they want him to play, understanding the system and doing his part to make the play that Scott Turner's designed and called work. Taylor is more on schedule. Which I like. He is he is the coach's quarterback. In other words, when I say that, I mean, you know, the coach tells him what to do, and he does it. They like Taylor, though. They like the way he's a gamer. They like the oh, way I know. you know. They like how he connects with the players and how the players like him. And there's a leadership thing there. So he's got that opportunity. We'll get to that. Um, I I I got off track here because I want to tell you about John Kime's story. John Kime wrote a story about Washington's quarterbacks 
over the last 30 years, essentially. Going back to Mark Rippon, it's really the end of the 93 season, which was Mark Rippon's last. Um, Rippon had the run from essentially 89, 90, 91, 92, 93. 93 was Richie's year. He actually got hurt in that season and missed some of that season. Came back late, shouldn't have, um, because the season was over. Um, since then... Washington has had um, not Washington. Uh, Washington has had thirty, st- uh, actually thirty-one different starting quarterbacks, including Ryan Fitzpatrick, who obviously only played three series. What ESPN did is they went back and they used their analytics department, ESPN Analytics, and they ranked those thirty quarterbacks from best to, from worst to best based on a ton of different analytics numbers, regular season passing efficiency, um, weighted uh, passing yards, weighted. uh, There's a bunch of things that were factored in here. And then after the analytics department ranked them, you know, one to 30, Kime weighed in with his thoughts. Kime actually called me about this and asked me a couple of questions about what I thought on on, on this list and who was the worst and who were the best, et cetera. Um, But let me just tell you that the worst-ranked quarterback among the 30s, Mark Sanchez, okay, Sanchez uh, started one game. They don't count Fitzpatrick here because he only played three series in one game. Sanchez was the yeah. worst. Right now, Heineke is the second worst. I don't know, I don't know how his one start – against Tampa Bay somehow has him in the 29 position. Um, The quarterback to me that was most out of place ranking-wise was Mark Brunel, who came in at 12. Look, listen to some of the names, okay, that are in front of Brunel and tell me you don't think Brunel should be higher. John Fries, Trent Green, Todd, Todd Collins, Patrick Ramsey, Colt McCoy, Donovan McNabb, Jason Campbell, um, I, I just think Brunel was the biggest whiff on this list in terms of he should be higher. And Kime writes, I would have ranked him at least number six. I could be persuaded into putting him a spot or two higher than number six. Strong leader overcame an inefficient scheme. Um, oh, he overcame a lot of things. He was a tremendous leader for them. He played hurt, um, and they didn't have a whole hell of a lot uh, around them, that's for sure. They had Cooley and they had Santana Moss and Clinton Portis. That was it. I mean, that's not bad, um, but that's all they had. Um, the top three, top four, because I told you Jason Campbell was five, Gus Ferrat was four. And yes, Gus Ferrat on this list deserves to be way up there. Gus Ferrat was an efficient quarterback, not a winning quarterback. Um, but was pretty efficient over a five. He started 52 games for this team. Uh, Robert Griffin III came in third on the list, and that's all about one season. Um, and then the top two were number two Brad Johnson and number one Kirk Cousins. Now let me tell you, I told Kime that I would have had Brad Johnson one and Cousins two, and that probably surprises many of you. But I think Brad Johnson was a better leader and much more of, um, you know, look, they, he had a team with some talent, certainly in 2000 when he came back. He only started two seasons here, and he, did, he didn't even start every game in 2000. But his 99 season, which was an outlier really for the time, threw for 4,000-plus yards, 24 touchdowns, um, for what was the second-ranked offense in the league in 1999. That was a brilliant season. And if he hadn't been a little bit hurt in that playoff game against Tampa, uh, they may have ended up in the NFC Championship game that year against the greatest show on turf. They lost that game 14-13. to Cousins came in one. It's, it's a fair debate uh, whichever way you want to put them, one, two. I mean, there, there's nobody else you consider because after the top two in this era – Everybody else is in the conversation for whatever. I mean, you know, in terms of, you know, RG3's one year, Gus Ferrat, Mark Brunel, um, you know, uh, that's really probably the group that you talk about next. I don't know how they ended up with Brunel ranked at 12th. Um, what do you think of this list? Uh, I think, look, I, I think it's, it's, it's pretty good. Uh, I would have, I agree with you on Brunel. Based on talking to the players who played with him, uh, I would have had him a lot higher on the list, but that's not 
You don't do that in analytics. You don't actually converse with people who were on the field. <laughs> uh, you know, so, so with analytics, you talk to numbers. And uh, I guess the numbers dictate that Brunel would be lower. But, but I agree with you. I think, and I agree with you about Brad Johnson over Kirk Cousins because, like Kime said, uh, if you had to win one game, which quarterback would you have? The, the, the Washington Brad Johnson or the Washington Kirk Cousins? And I take Brad Johnson in that. Uh, I, uh, I, look, I know this is sacrilegious. Uh, and I take some, so, I take some gratitude, I take some solace in it, and some pleasure in it. But Colt McCoy is number seven. I know. I don't understand that. That's 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 a little too high. I mean, you I mean, know, this just speaks to as just much how as I love the guy, this list is. That's a little too high. It really speaks to how pathetic this list is. It's really amazing what this franchise well, I guess, has gone yeah. through. And it really is. And, uh, look, I, I think that, that Colt McCoy deserves uh, a, a decent place on this list based on his Cowboys Monday night upset alone. Uh, but uh, seventh? It's ridiculous. You know, and Patrick Ramsey eighth? Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's utterly ridiculous, Colt McCoy being there. I knew you'd be happy about that. The best quote in the entire story, you saw this, right, about another guy that you loved oh, and yeah. were convinced of. <laughs> John Beck came in at 23. Um, Mike Shanahan's going to be on the radio show uh, with me on Monday morning. And you and I, this, is, this was up there. It wasn't top five of our all-time arguments, but it was probably top 20. Um, Beck and Grossman, and I told you the whole time, Grossman's going to start. I don't care what Beck puts up numbers-wise. He's going to start. They don't think Beck can actually do it. Beck ended up getting opportunities, and he did start. In th- he did start three games, played in four. Remember, he came in against Philadelphia. And then what, what a lot of people don't know is that Rex got pneumonia um, before the, I think it was the Carolina game the next week. He would have started, but he got pneumonia, and that's why Beck ended up starting. But anyway, listen to these quotes about John Beck from two of his former teammates. Cooley's told me this story before, but Cooley's quoted in this story. He said, what I remember is he called everybody and said, this is John Beck, your starting quarterback. And then we all called each other and said, is he the starting quarterback or just saying that? I didn't hate the confidence, Cooley said. But here is, uh, after that Buffalo game, which was an all-timer, where he was sacked 10 times, Cooley said he panicked. He just wouldn't throw the football. Um, The next week, remember, he dumped it off to Roy Hallou 14 times on checkdowns against the 49ers. Santana Moss had the quote. Quote, he thought he was going to be the guy. He sucked ass. I won't lie to you. I broke my hand and didn't play the final two games with him. Nothing better could have happened to me because I didn't have to play with this guy. You talk all this stuff in the offseason, and then you lay this egg, closed quote. I've referred to John Beck over the years as like all-world layup line guy. You know, being a basketball, having played basketball my whole life, and some of you out there will understand the reference, there's always the guy going through layup lines that's, you know, throwing it up off the glass, catching it, you know, laying it in backwards, and he's strutting back to the line. And then you put him in the game, and it's like, dude, you're you're one pair of underwear short – you needed to you needed to gear up a little bit better, and they would just soil themselves when it came to an actual game. That was John Beck. He he was terrified in these games, but he clearly looked super sharp in practices. Um, I think that's a funny line from Santana Moss. It's also very interesting to note, and we've talked about this before, that John Beck has b- uh, built a business into being a quarterback trainer. And teacher for a lot yes. of players, including, including right, um, uh, Trey Lance. He was mentioned in a couple of the quarterbacks that got picked this year. Was it Trey Lance and Justin Fields? Maybe I forget. He had a couple of the quarterbacks remember, this year. He has, he has become uh, a, a prominent quarterback guru for 
for college players who want to get drafted in the NFL, which is very ironic. Really ironic. But, you know, yeah. one of the things he did clearly is he looked good in warm-ups. He looked good in practice. You know, if he trains these guys and he's not the one that actually has to go out on the field in front of a crowd and play, you know, I remember, you know, one of the things you said, and I remember this very clearly because it was always very much a part of many of your positions, and that is I'm not telling you – I'm not telling you what I think. I'm telling you what they have said. And, and and it's a good it's it's a fair point you know uh, it's not what we think I'm telling you what an expert actually thinks and says Kyle Shanahan was the one that really according to reports stood on a table in Houston and said I want this guy drafted and they listened to him but he was not a good quarterback not a good quarterback you know this, remi- this reminds me uh, look, my father was a real pool, good pool player. I mean, uh, I, I, a guy who could ru- run a rack or two. Uh, he was really good. And I grew up in a pool room across the street from our apartment in Brooklyn. And I used to play pool a lot, you know, by myself at that point when I was a kid. They, they'd put me on a t- table and let me shoot and stuff. And I knew a lot about pool. And I could teach somebody how to be a good pool player, but I was not a good pool player. And I should have been a lot better, considering what I knew and how, how much I had played. And, you know, I guess, I guess you could say that John Beckett's the same way. He knows how to teach people how to play quarterback. He just can't do it himself. Well, Tommy, that's true in a lot of cases. Sometimes the best coaches were the most average of players. The most average of yeah. players. Um, yeah. You are what you are watching Ted Lasso, right? No, I watched the first two episodes. And then you bailed? We were not Well we well, we watched it at my son's house and we weren't particularly impressed. Okay. Well, the dart episode for those of you that have seen it um, is, you know, the all-time, you know, setup. I thought that's where Tommy was going. You know, he was going to tell us a, uh, you know, a, a Minnesota Fats story about his father. Um, but, uh, but no, I get your point. I get your point, um, John. John, that is an incredible. I mean, you know, Santana. I had Santana on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. He was really, really good and. And a lot of you really enjoyed that, and and I did too. Actually, I never asked him about Beck. Um, I missed out on 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 getting that line. That's a great line about John Beck, though. And it's really, I mean, for Santana, who's such a nice guy, that is really a a public shot at a former teammate. He sucked. Well, ass. Let's, let's break <laughs> let's let's break that down for a second. I mean, Santana, as you know, you've got to combine that with the fact. That Santana loved Rex Grossman. Loved him. He absolutely loved Rex because Rex would throw the ball down the field. <laughs> true, true. And so, I mean, he might throw it to the other guy, but a lot of times he would throw it to Santana. So Santana Moss loved the other guy in this in this debate. Uh, so, I mean, and, and the other thing is, which is so true, and we talked about this early on. The book? Before it, it actually came into existence. John Beck literally did try to talk his way into being the starting quarterback. Oh, yeah. He just sort of declared he was the starter. But I, I don't think we knew at the time that it was a, an utter turnoff to, you know, everybody on that team. And and no. I, so look, but we thought it was funny that it was going on. Well, didn't he? Wasn't he one of the guys that wrote a book before? Didn't he write a book? No. Who wrote the books? No. Well, Kirk Cousins wrote a book. Uh, Colt McCoy wrote a book. Colt wrote a book, yeah, too. Uh, right. Yeah, and yeah. Kirk wrote a book. Yeah. And wasn't there? We didn't have another quarterback that wrote a book. Not that I can think of. RG three did a documentary. Well, yeah, did a you know all in for week week one. Um, The Santana stuff. uh, The Santana stuff. Tommy is coming from. Yes, they all loved Rex Grossman. All of them did. Yes. Um, Yeah. And uh, it also came from you know judging by, by what he said. 
this guy came in and acted like he was a starter, and then he, when he finally got the opportunity, yeah. he basically shit himself, you know, on the field, which yeah. is exactly what happened. Um, anyway, uh, it's an interesting list for longtime, you know, uh, Skins fans. It's um, a depressing list. What do you a, think about Dwayne Haskins at 19? I, look, I think you, I think thought? when you get beyond, you know, four or five guys, it's like y- they all sucked. I mean, seriously, there are 30 names on here, and there are only four or five guys that even had a moment with the franchise. I mean, like, it's, it's like Kate, Kate, like uh, Gary, Gary Conklin. Yeah, on this list. I mean, like Tony, uh, let me give you one. Tony Banks is 15th on this list, so he's dead center in the middle. He started that whole 2001 season after Jeff George got benched. Now, Kent Graham played in some of those games, um, but he was 8-6 and six as a starter with one audible. Remember, I mean, basically Marty's like, don't give him too much. Uh, and, and that team was – he was a, a fabulous game manager – for those for that eight and three closing stretch, and in fact, in in a couple of the games that they lost before, you know he didn't play poorly. He ended up with uh, ten touchdowns, ten interceptions, twenty three hundred eighty six passing yards. It was a very um, lacking in talent offense. Like if you told me, like Banks Banks would have been ahead of Jeff George on this list, he definitely would have been ahead of Jeff George. He would have been ahead of well, John Freeze on this list. The list, in a way, is what I've always said. It, it's sort of an indictment on analytics. I mean, this is this is based on analytics. Yeah. And the idea just that, stats. Uh, Let's call sure. it stats from now on. Analytics makes okay. it sound like there's somehow you know there there's this level of intelligence involved. It's just statistics okay, and right. advanced statistics. That's all it is. Okay. And to have Heath Shore ranked ahead of Alex Smith <laughs> is, is absurd. Ridiculous. It's absolutely absurd. I think you so could... this, this is an embar- and In some ways, it's an embarrassment to the stats department at ESPN that they would produce a list like this. And thank goodness for John Kime for putting his comments in there and kind of cleaning it up. Yeah, he did a good job with that. Um, he say, <laughs> yes. With Rex Grossman being at 13, he said anywhere from 10 to 13 is good for Grossman. Well, again, some of the guys in front of him, you know, John Freeze started 16 games in, in Norv's first year here, and he had the benefit of playing for Norv, which, by the way, was a benefit for quarterbacks here. You know, Freeze it didn't benefit Heath Schuler, um, but it benefited Freeze for some of those games in 94. They were terrible. But I'm not putting Freeze in front of Grossman. I'm not putting Todd Collins, even though you know he started that stretch into the playoffs in front of Grossman. Probably I'm not putting Ramsey in front of Grossman. I'm certainly not no. putting Colt McCoy in front of Grossman. Uh, what are we? Hey, we're talking about here. just horrible quarterbacking. Um, but you know, really, after Brad Johnson and Kirk Cousins and Robert Griffin III's rookie year. Every other name on this list when they were here were either non-NFL starting quarterbacks or past their prime, well past their prime as a starting quarterback. You know, see uh, Mark Brunel um, or uh, Donovan McNabb. You know, like Brunel and McNabb on uh, on the lists of Jacksonville and Philadelphia, they're going to be way high up there, and people are going to debate the shit out of them because they were really good quarterbacks in those places. On this list, they're really not in the conversation, although Brunel's way uh, – I mean, I'd have Brunel ahead of McNabb. I might have Brunel uh, – I might have Brunel in the top five on this list. I mean, I'd have him in front of Jason Campbell. I'd have him in front of McNabb, in front of McCoy, Ramsey, Collins, Green, Freeze. So, yeah, I'd have him – I mean, Farratt just started so many more games, but I, it's having Griffin third because of that rookie year is probably appropriate because really other than the Cousins years and the uh, Brad Johnson year, nobody came close to having a year like Griffin had. But yeah. – re- but, Anyway, whatever. Uh, it's depressing to what, look at, and it's also the reason the other thing why. Is, the other thing is it's a reminder of what might have been lost with Trent Green. Yeah. 
Yep. You know, how, I mean, you know, but B. Mitch said he's the best quarterback that he played with. And, uh, you know, I mean, you know, they, they wound up not signing him. That was the transition period between the team being sold, and they, they wouldn't make the decision to, according to this, to offer him this, you know, to come up with the money for the signing bonus. But, uh, and then Trent Green wound up getting hurt in, in, in St. Louis, and that paved the way for Kurt Warner. But, uh, you know, uh, there, there was a missed opportunity here maybe with Trent Green to change the whole direction of the franchise. That season, when they really got it going at the end of the year, it was becoming more clear that Trent Green was definitely starting quarterback caliber. And, you know, again, he's another guy benefited from quarterbacking under Norv Turner and then eventually quarterbacking under a guy like Mike Martz and then a guy like, you know, um, you know, a staff like the the staff that Vermeil had. Now, I want to make one thing clear that. B. Mitch didn't say that Trent Green was the best quarterback he ever no. played with. He said he might have been the best quarterback we've had in this franchise as far as overall ability since Mark Rippon. Right. That's, I just wanted to clarify that because, you know. No, that's what yeah. he said, yes. Right, yeah. So of, of all the terrible quarterbacks that came after Mark Rippon, Green may have been the best. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and B. Mitch played with, with um, you know, played with Brad Johnson. He was on that team in 99 that, that got to the playoffs, and then – you know, he was gone the next year and ended up, you know, doing well in Philadelphia and, and New York, uh, certainly in Philadelphia. All right, let's get to our keys to a win over the Giants right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. This segment brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag, use my promo code KevinDC, and they will match your deposit, your first ever deposit, dollar for dollar. Put in $500. bucks. you will have 1000 in your account to gamble with. You've got the Thursday night game tonight. We will give you picks here on this show uh, before the end of it. Um, Washington right now about a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Totals down to around 40, 40-and-a-half. You've got the big Sunday night game featuring Kansas City and Baltimore, another matchup uh, between Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes. All of the college, all of the NFL available, all of the baseball as we head down um, the stretch uh, of the baseball season, all available at MyBookie. MyBookie also has also has a full-fledged online casino. You want to play online craps, online blackjack, be careful, uh, but they've got all of that available. You have to use my promo code KevinDC. Plenty of contests available, fair lines, fair money lines, fair pricing at MyBookie. If you've got a place you're already betting at, I would still recommend you get a second. Do it at MyBookie, mybookie.ag. Use my promo code 
Kevin DC. Just a reminder too, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't. It doesn't cost you a thing. Also rate us and review us wherever you can. All of the reviews that have been coming in have really, really helped. So if you haven't done a rating or review, um, it will take you all of 60 seconds uh, to rate us five stars and write a one-sentence review. Just understand that that really helps us to uh, to deliver this podcast um, as often as we do. All right, uh, keys to beating the Giants. Washington wins if. Would you like me to go first, Tom, or would you like to go first? Well, I'd like you to go first so I can copy what you do. Okay. Uh, Washington will beat the Giants tonight, and I've got many more keys to a win than I had last week. I think it's always hard going into a game, especially against a team with a a new coaching staff as they faced last week. Um, They've got to be better defensively on first and second down. You know, most of you would say, well, she and the third downs were terrible. I'll get to that in a moment. But I mentioned on Monday in my recap with Cooley that while the third down numbers were epically bad – The Chargers had so many of those third downs as third and short, which meant Washington wasn't doing a good enough job on first and second down. Ron Rivera with me this morning on the show said the same thing. He said, we got to be better on first and second down. 11 of their 14 converted third downs on Sunday, the Chargers were third and five or shorter. And on most of those, they were third and three or shorter. You know, the NFL with the rules favoring the offense and this becoming a passing league and an offensive league, if you give a team over and over again third and one, third and two, third and three, third and four, they're going to convert a high percentage of third downs. Washington's got to be much better on first and second down. Number two, clearly they've got to be better on third down, no matter what the distances are. You know, nobody even on third and three over and over again is typically going to give up 14 of 18. You may not see that number again this year. They've got to be a lot better regardless of the third down distance that their opponent faces. This means improved pass rush, much better coverage, I think much tighter coverage, especially on third and shorter. Better tackling. I think that was an underrated problem on Sunday. A lot of catches and then good runs with tackles broken. Von Miller in Denver's win over the Giants on Sunday really dominated the game at times defensively. He owned Nate Solder. Um, Nate Solder is the Giants' starting right tackle. Andrew Thomas is their starting left tackle. Thomas was the player picked a few spots after Chase Young in the 2020 draft. Um, But Von Miller had two sacks, several pressures. Um, it, It should be a better night tonight for Washington's pass rush. Third down defense, dead last in the league after one after one game. Of course it is. Uh, it's just got to be significantly better. Number three, I've sort of mentioned it, but I'm going to mention it and emphasize it here. They've got to tackle much better. The Giants have playmakers after the catch. Sterling Shepard turned you know, a, a short catch into a 40-yard touchdown against the Broncos on Sunday. And the Broncos are pretty good in their secondary. They lost Ronald Darby, by the way, for the year uh, in the opener. Uh, Shepard, Slayton, Galladay, Barkley, depending on his availability and how much he's out there. Kadarius Toney, who hasn't played, he got very little playing time. He actually had COVID, and he's still working his way back into into condition, their first-round pick out of Florida. Um, They can make you pay big time with a missed tackle. Uh, So you've got to tackle better tonight. Flipping it over to the offensive side of the ball, the Giants blitzed Teddy Bridgewater to death. The Giants, I talked about this on the podcast yesterday. Somebody, um, I'm going to read you this tweet because I have been this week definitely trying to warn people that the Giants aren't anywhere near as bad as you think they are, and there's really not that much difference, in my opinion, between the Giants roster and Washington's roster. Uh, Chuck G on Twitter, and you can tweet me at Kevin Sheehan DC, tweeted, Tommy, he said, if you listen to Kevin Sheehan, you would think we're going up against Phil Simms, Mark Bavaro, Lawrence Taylor, Carl Banks, and Otis Anderson tonight. Jesus. (laughs) Um, And I tweeted back to him. I said, well, you left out Bill Parcells. Um, and by the way, Joe Morris, I should have mentioned, 
But no, what I, my point here is, it just seems to me, and maybe I'm reading the room incorrectly, but it seems to me that many people out there just think we're much better than the Giants. And I don't see it that way. I think these teams are much closer than maybe a lot of you think. Look, Vegas has it as a three, three and a half point, you know, uh, point line. So that's a toss up on a neutral field if they're playing a neutral field game. Um, It's kind of the way I see it. And back to the keys to beating the Giants, they've got to be ready for pressure. The Giants faced the sixth most pressure. uh, I'm sorry, the Broncos faced the sixth most pressure in the league um, last week by the Giants. The Giants are fast and athletic. Leonard Williams is an absolute beast up front. Uh, Blake Martinez can run. Their linebackers can all run. And they've got safeties in uh, in Peppers and in Logan Ryan who came on multiple safety blitzes. Teddy Bridgewater had the game of his career. He was so good on Sunday because he was under pressure a lot and made every big third and fourth down throw in that game. Now, if they blitz... Taylor Heineke, it may create opportunities for Heineke because my belief is that's what he does better than anything, which is, you know, evade pass rush and then make plays after escaping pass rush. But they've got to be ready for the blitz. They've got to be ready for Leonard Williams and their up front, um, you know, base defense. They're pretty stout up front. Uh, I think Heineke, Tommy, tonight needs four to five impact plays with his legs to beat the Giants. Now, whether that's as a run on third and seven where he, he sees the pressure and he scrambles out of there and runs effortlessly with underrated speed, 10 yards and out of bounds, or whether it's you know he avoids pressure in the pocket, steps up and fires something over the middle to Logan Thomas. I think he's got to make four to five impact plays against the Giant pressure um, to win tonight. I think he can, by the way. Um, I think they really have to do a good job of tackling Daniel Jones. Jones is not, you know, a runner that's going to look to slide all the time. He's a big boy, and he can run. That's probably what he does better than anything else. And when he runs, other teams have been, a- have been able to separate the ball from his body. And that's what Washington, you know, could could do once or twice tonight. Jones has had his best games of his career against Washington. They really have to hit him tonight. Uh, you got to protect the ball tonight. You can't have a fumble inside your five yard line. And then finally, and I know this is a long list, but uh, I really worked on it this week because there were at least two games to watch: the Giants game and the Washington game from last week. I think. Heineke and this offense really need to feed Logan Thomas tonight. I think there's an opportunity, especially against pressure, to find Logan Thomas in the middle of the field. Noah Fant and Albert O, whatever his last name is, um, the two tight ends for Denver feasted against the Giants' defense. Bridgewater made some great throws to them under pressure. They had nine catches in the game combined. It could have been more. I think this could be a big night for Logan Thomas, and I think they should look to feed him. Now, Denver's got much more on the outside to really put the fear into a defense. Jerry Judy, K.J. Hamler, Cortland Sutton. They also had Melvin Gordon in the backfield. And Washington's got some of that, too. By the way, Jerry Judy got you know, was seriously injured. I think he's out eight weeks in that game against the Giants. Washington's got some players that the Giants have to worry about. They've got to worry about Terry McLaurin. You know, they've got to worry a little bit about Deami Brown's speed. They ha- they certainly have to worry about Antonio Gibson. Um, I think they have to worry about Logan Thomas. We'll see if they game plan for Logan Thomas. The tight ends had a field day um, against the Giants, and I think this is a night where you feed Logan Thomas. There you go. That's it. By the way, be more mature tonight. Be more mature tonight. No, <laughs> no freelancing. Um, you know, no uh, deviating from the play that's called, especially on third down. All right, what are your keys to uh, a win over the Giants? Okay, I'm, I'm embarrassed to go with mine because yours was so well done. No, it wasn't. It was just detailed. long per usual. Sorry. No, it was. I'm, I'm very impressed. I think you hit on a lot of good things. Mine is, is much more simple. And actually, you can use these keys to a victory 
for every game the rest of the season, okay. not just the Giants game. Because this speaks to the kind of team that Washington is at this point. They need to have, uh, they need to have pressure from the, front, from the front line on the quarterback. They need to put pressure on the, on the opposing quarterback, Daniel Jones in this case. But uh, the defense needs to create pressure on the quarterback. They need to win the field position battle, which uh, in a way – you know, gave them an opportunity if if they weren't if they weren't so pathetic that defensively to win last week's game. Early on, uh, particularly in the first half, Washington was winning the field position battle, uh, and that's one of the reasons Ron Rivera said he punted. Uh, you know, he didn't. Yeah, he punted on fourth and seven late in the game. Now that may have been the wrong decision, but. Uh, you know, he was counting on winning the field position battle. This is what they need to do. And like you said, they can't afford to have turnovers. They need to win the turnover battle, even if it's 0-0. That's winning. They can't turn the ball over. This is, I mean, this is, I mean, anything else you ask of this team is, is going to be a gift. This is what they need to do to compete in every game from here on in. Yeah. Um... All right, when we come back, we'll have our game prediction. Uh, We will guess on Taylor Heineke's numbers. I think I gave you my guess. Tommy will give you a guess on Taylor, Taylor Heineke's night as well. And then one last thing. What would really be disappointing about tonight beyond a loss? Beyond a loss, what would be majorly disappointing? I think we'd all come to the same conclusion on this. Maybe. All of that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Uh, Tommy and I were just having a quick conversation during the break that I'm going to share with you. I moved into a new house recently. It's still a work in progress. It's going to be very nice. My wife's done a beautiful job. Honey, I love you. You've done a great job. She is, a, in addition to being a real estate agent, she's a designer as well. And um, the house is great. Um, last night, with the two dogs that we have in the house, uh, including um, the dog that is my favorite of the two dogs, our two-year-old English bulldog. Her name is Lainey. Um, she is, uh, she's become, as I've told you previously, a favorite for all of us. She's just a wonderful dog, incredible, loving, loyal, fun, funny. Everything about her is outstanding. Well, last night, my wife said to me, uh, you can't eat around Lainey. Um, because bulldogs, if you don't know this, Tommy, they drool a lot. They drool a lot when they're watching other people eat. And I said, uh, okay. And she that said, sounds well, like some of the people we've wor- that sounds like some of the people we've worked with at 980. <laughs> there were a lot of drool cups at 980 with yes. management typically. Um, yes. And she she said, well, we, she can't she can't drool on these on the on the new floors. To which Tom just said, and I completely agree with him. If you're going to have a dog or dogs, plural, as we have, you're going to have to put up to a certain degree what they do to a house. It's just part of it. If you don't want drool on new floors, well, then don't have dogs. That's what Tommy just told me, and I tend to agree with it. So Tom just lectured my wife. There you go. Thanks for putting that on me. (laughs) But... Thank, thank you. Go ahead. But, but, yeah, but I'm right. I mean, if you're going to have a dog, you, 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 I mean, and if you're going to want the dog to have a normal existence, you know, you, you got you pretty much have to accept the dog as a member of the family. Yeah, and and I mean, th- like, okay, if one of your kids strolled, would she tell you not to eat around them? Put it this way: I, I Lainey's not going to make her own bed. Okay, so we, we there are limitations with dogs. Yes. Um, yes. I, you know, I understand. It's well, why do you have two dogs? Oh, my That's God. That's one too many. <laughs> she actually threw out recently, we probably need to get another dog because the other... Our other dog is old, and, you know, she wants another dog to be able to hang out with Lainey. So a lot of people believe that two dogs are better for the dogs than just one dog. 
But anyway, uh, you know what? Look, I mean, most of you can uh, can relate to a certain degree. When you're in a new house, you want it to feel new for a while. You don't want it banged up in the first couple of weeks of being in there. I understand that. But I'm not going to not eat or not eat around her or be following her around wiping up the drool when she drools. Bulldogs drool. That's what they do. They do. There's an idea. What? Here's an idea. Every time you go to eat, put a blindfold over the dog. <laughs> that seems cruel. So he can't see what you're doing. It seems cruel, but I think it would work. I think it would and, work. And then it'd be fun to watch him bump into the furniture no, and stuff while that, you're eating. You'd have entertainment. No, 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 no. You can, hey, you know what? You can lecture my wife, but don't put my dog into, in, into your bad <laughs> thoughts. Um, all right. Uh, so... Before we get to the predictions tonight, um, no smell test pick, just so uh, everybody knows. Uh, I wanted to mention... I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised at that. I like the Giants plus the points. I think... Um, I, I don't, I, I'm don't. i probably not going to play it. I think these Thursday night games are so hard to predict. Um, I'm not going to play the game more likely than not. Um, but I, I, I... Now, wait a minute. Yeah. Now, wait a minute. What? Wait a minute. What? This is, this is a little bit contrary to what you told me earlier in the week. What? That I thought the Giants were going to win. Yeah, yeah, and I, that you were all in. Yeah, I like I like the Giants tonight. I do. I, I it's not that I think they're going to win. I like them plus the number. I absolutely do. Um, if you if I had to play the game, I would play the Giants. I would not lay the points with Washington tonight. Um, but uh, I these Thursday night games are always hard to bet. They just they don't. They, they're they're always poorly played, sloppy. We've talked about this. I'm not playing the game tonight. I, I think it's a field goal either way. I really do. I think it's a low. If anything, I'm going to play the under tonight. If anything, I'll play the under. Um, before we get to our predictions on the game, other than the obvious, which is you know if they lose the game, what would you be majorly disappointed with if you don't see it tonight? Go ahead. You give me an answer first. Well, you see, here's the thing. I mean, I'm not going to be disappointed in anything. I know. You shouldn't what, ask me what, that question. What do you think I mean, fans... I'm, here's my disappointment What do you tonight. think the fans if would be most disappointed it, with it, if they lose? Or if they win or lose? Uh, again, I, I think that they would be most disappointed if Taylor Heineke has like a two-interception flop of a game. Because they have so much invested in the, in the legend of Taylor Heineke. And if he's exposed this early, like his uh, like the first start of the regular season, then that would be a, the biggest disappointment. <laughs> Can you imagine? Fitzpatrick gets hurt uh, three series into the season, and Heineke's first start, three picks, 112 yards, and a fumble, and a big loss to the Giants. I, I mean, I, no, I don't. I I think you hit on one of the two things that people would be disappointed with if they don't see. Um, uh, you know, a, a decent game from Heineke. The other is if they don't see a major improvement defensively. If the Giants come in here tonight and they convert, you know, nobody's going to convert 14 of 18, um, but they're 6 of 12 on third down and they score 24 to 27 points and put up 400 yards of offense and Jones doesn't get sacked or maybe only gets sacked once but pretty much has his way, that would be a massive disappointment. And I don't care that it's two weeks into the season. At that point, I would be a little bit alarmed about the 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 hopes that we all have that this defense could be a really good defense. Again, I never thought it was elite or great last year. I thought it was improved. I thought it could be a good defense this year and maybe take a step towards being great this year. Um, if the defense doesn't step up in a major way against this opponent tonight, that would be a major disappointment. What's your box score for Taylor Heineke tonight? 19 of 27, 180 yards passing, one touchdown pass, one touchdown run, and one interception. Um, that's not a bad night. That's not a bad night. No. Um, to, you know, if he counts no. for two touchdowns. You can beat the Giants. With with that, yeah, you can beat the Giants with that. That's right, because you can't you, beat many other teams with that, but you can beat the Giants with that. Yeah, because you just gave me fourteen points from him alone. 
Um, yes. Or at least 12, depending on what Hopkins does. Uh, my, uh, my box score for him, 20 of 33, 212 yards, one touchdown, one interception. And I've got six rushes for 37 yards. Um, and I put out a 42.5 QBR because somebody asked me for the QBR. So I, that would be a decent night. I'm expecting him to make some plays tonight. I really am. I I would be disappointed if the defense doesn't, you know, have a massively improved game. But I would also be disappointed if Taylor Heineke gets handled by the Giants. If he doesn't have three, four, five plays where you're like, wow, this dude, there's something to him. Something to him. I don't know if it's a long-term, you know, consistent NFL starter, but, you know, he can make some plays. I mean, that's what he does, you know, and I expect that'll happen because there's going to be some pressure. You know, this this defense for the Giants is pretty talented. Uh, all right, let's get to it. Final score prediction with a footnote. Go ahead. Uh, Washington wins this game, 21-17. to 17. Uh, The footnote is, uh, I think you're right, Logan Thomas is uh, turns out to be Taylor Heineke's security blanket uh, and manages to get him through the game without, you know, soiling himself. Not that Taylor Heineke's that kind of quarterback, but I think Logan Thomas winds up being the offensive star of the game for them. I've got I think you're right. I've got Washington nineteen to seventeen winners. That's threading the needle, Tommy. That would give the Giants plus the points um, a big W. But Washington wins the game um, nineteen to seventeen. Uh, Dustin Hopkins four field goals, four for four, and he starts off the season seven for eight. He hits the game winner with less than a minute to go. The defense gets a stop on the Giants' final drive. And the only thing we're bitching about a little bit tomorrow morning is their red zone offense. <laughs> that would be a nice uh, bitch after a win to get to one and one. Um, I, we talked about this yesterday and even the day before when you um, first brought up Code Red. This is not Code Red must win, um, but I'm not diminishing the importance of this game. I understand I can do the math that they've got 15 more games after this one and five division games after this one, and none of those start until mid-December. But this is a big game. You know, uh, Rivera agreed. I said, is there is there an urgency uh, for this game? And he, and he, he said, yeah, you can't be 0-2, you know, heading to Buffalo, basically, um, in, in 11 days. And and you can't. I think if, if the team didn't have that many expectations like last year, I, I don't think there's pressure associated with it. But I think because of the expectations, an 0-2 start with two losses at home as a favorite in each game – you would get tested here early in the season about what kind of locker room you have, you know, what kind of players you have, how, how resilient they are. Last year, last year was kind of easy. No offense, but there was no pressure. There were no expectations. The division was horrible, right. and they they and there was nobody, and then there was nobody in the stands either, and nobody in the stands, and nobody in their way, you know, and they played yes. one horrible quarterback after another. This year's different. You start 0-2 with some expectations, and you're staring at Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs in Buffalo, and then the Saints and the Chiefs and the Packers over a three-week period. And by the way, at Denver, that's not that's yes. they'll be an underdog. And then they come back after a bye week with Tampa and I think an improved Carolina team before they get Seattle, Vegas, and Dallas, and then Philly. I mean, I'm just looking at the schedule. Where's the this might be the game? This might this be the, the winnable game. It's the most winnable game on their schedule. It may. And if you don't win this, then it, it's code. It's code brown. It may for be the, shit. It might be the only game in many weeks that they're favored in. Now the at Atlanta in two weeks will be interesting. Okay, I get it, but um, it is a road game, so. Uh, it's going to be, at least for the foreseeable future, one of the only games that they're probably favored in, unless they just look awesome, which is also a possibility here over the next few weeks. I'm back tomorrow. Jay Gruden's scheduled to be my guest to recap the game. I think Cooley will be on early next week uh, to give his thoughts on this game in the NFL weekend. Tommy, thanks. Thank you, boss. 
Everybody enjoy it. Uh, I will get this out as early as I can tomorrow morning after the radio show. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.